Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. 8.05 here on the Todd and Oz Show. You can join us at 512-836-0590. Terry, they're on line one. Hang on just a second. This attack, which also wounded as many as 34 military personnel, Carried out by Iran-backed militias operating in Syria and Iraq. This all according to the Biden administration. Uh, in Jordan, kills three U.S. troops and injures as many as 34 others. It's the first time uh, U.S. service members have been killed in the Middle East hostilities since Hamas initially attacked Israel uh, back on October the 7th. And leaves Joe Biden with some, some well, I guess a high-stakes test, if you will, if it, uh, you know, whether or not to retaliate. Uh, given the prospects of a direct conflict with Iran, yeah, the president did vow a, a response in the statement that he released over the weekend. He said the U.S. will hold all of those responsible to account at a time and in a matter of our choosing. Did you hear that, that Iran has come out? They're, they're saying that uh, any, any claim that we were involved in this is, quote, baseless. Uh, that, that's from the Iran foreign ministry. They're saying that uh, they claim that resistance groups in the region don't take orders from Iran. That's, that's mm. a, in a Reuters report. Well, we know they do. We know they do. Mm. They can deny it all they want, but we know it was them. Yeah, they went too far this yeah, time. They, it, because 160 different attacks using drones on our forces and hadn't killed anybody, injured a few, uh, this was escalating. Yeah. This is this was expected, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was bound to happen eventually. It's cowardly. It happened, you know, it happened when they were sleeping. The, uh, so, I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it happened. It was, it was going to happen eventually. Now here we got three that are dead. General Jack Keene, he's a retired former Army Vice Chief of Staff. Uh, he's live on Fox right now. Let's listen in. Is stop this expansion, and the administration doesn't get it. They've got to reset their strategy comprehensively here, Bill. Organize the international community to isolate Iran. The appeasement diplomatic strategy failed. Number two, economically, go after everything they can in terms of maximum sanctions, and go after the Chinese who are buying Iran's fuel, and guess what? They are flush with money as a result of it. Sanction the Chinese if we need to. And then militarily, we have to deal with this issue here of shutting down Iran's backing for these proxies. They don't care how many rockets and missiles are destroyed or how many proxies are killed as a result of our strikes. What they do care about is the resources that they own. I would go after the IRGC targets because they control and direct, fund, and arm, and it's a military target bases and people and leaders and also as part of the comprehensive strategy it goes unspoken here but Iran is close to a nuclear weapon and we've got to have a strategy to deal with that reality in concert with the Israelis reset comprehensive strategy to deal with Iran a military strike here is very appropriate and it has to have the right target in mind so that we can Iran will finally begin to shut down these proxies General Jack Keane retired uh, live on Fox uh, jump in here at 512-836-0590 
And, you know, and Donald Trump came out and he said that we need an immediate return to peace through strength so that there will be no more chaos, no more destruction, no more loss of precious American lives. Our country can't survive with Joe Biden as commander in chief. Is that is that what I mean? Is that the only option now? Peace through strength. I mean, I know it worked. I worked under Trump, but uh, I, I mean, it's it, things are escalating very quickly over there. Yeah, five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Plus, we got this story on the table. We've been talking this morning. We heard from uh, Tony Gonzalez from Texas. He's he's a Navy guy concerned about recruiting. Recruiting numbers in all the branches of the military are down, and uh, well, we got a problem with young people that just don't want to serve. Right. 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 Yeah, they don't want to be teachers, doctors, nurses, police officers. It's a different generation. That's it is. For sure. Let me squeeze in uh, uh, Terry in North Austin this morning. Hey, Terry. What are you referring to? Hey guys, uh, that last segment before the break, uh, I take that as a sign of good news. It's good to see that military number recruitment numbers are down. Uh, it, that previous segment that you guys read, where that guy was talking about you know, the reason for the falling recruitment, most typically your biggest source of recruitments were white males, mainly in the South. Well, for the last particularly three years, they've been told they're racist, Nazis, um, homophobic. Why would they want to serve for a country that hates them? So it makes perfect sense for them not to join. And then when he mentioned the last 20 years, the fighting in the Middle East, nothing, we did nothing but squander trillions of dollars that we can't afford. We made no difference. You've got veterans that are committing suicide at a suicide at an alarming rate. So again, I don't see the upside for anybody joining the military, uh, particularly under this regime. And on top of that, we've had just over the last three years, six to eight million people come across our border, and they haven't lifted a finger to stop a single one of them. Mm. But we're told that we've got to spend trillions to save Ukraine's border. Mm. It makes no sense to join the military. It, it's upside down. Yeah. I'd be curious to get y'all's thoughts. No, I, I hear you. You're, you're, you're spot on. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you touched all the bases there, and I think it's really unfortunate because I mean, you know, you, you need a you need a robust military for for a variety of reasons, and and so I mean, on the one hand, I I'd, I'd be hesitant to go so far as to say I think it's a good thing, mm. but you know, I mean, it, it is certainly a wake up call. I w- I would hope to, to those in charge. Let's go to uh, Cedar Park. Uh, let's see, uh, Joe in Cedar Park. Joe, your brother is stationed at Tower 22. They're at the border of Jordan and Syria where this this drone attack occurred. Is your brother okay, Joe? He says he's okay. Um, it was a, a little scary yesterday, touch and go for us, because, you know, I was talking to him when everything happened, and uh, um, I knew something was wrong, and I got a message from, from him uh, yesterday morning that said he was okay, but he didn't give any other details. Didn't hear back from him again until late last night. Um, so he let me know that you know yes, because I, you know, he says he's okay, and it's like okay, you have that moment where you're like okay, you're you're alive, but then you started seeing the news a few hours later saying that there was like thirty some odd people injured. So yeah, we were trying to touch base with him and make sure that he wasn't among the injured. And right. uh, uh, luckily, we did get a hold of him last night, and he said that uh, he's okay and he's just can't talk he's busy you know medevacking people out of there right right and, and probably can't say a whole lot i would think too right no he no he's not supposed to know or talk much about it in fact we didn't actually know where he was at and only because we put two and two together did we figure it out yeah yeah how old's your brother um he is 30 yeah 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I'm glad he's okay. Yeah. Uh, he's not out of danger, though, right? I mean, this it's a dangerous position to be out there. Yeah, it is indeed. That whole area. Yes, it is. Yeah. Terry, thanks for checking. Joe, rather, uh, thanks for checking in this morning. I'm glad your brother's doing all right. Yeah. It is uh, 812 here at KLBJ. Uh, jump in at 512-836-0590 uh, here on the Todd and Oz Show. And, and, and I, a lot of texters this morning are saying, oh, uh, what are we going to do about uh, this uh, retaliation? Are we going to are we going to we going to launch another big war with Iran on this front? Well, I mean, well, what should the reaction be when Iranian proxies use a drone to kill three of our men and injure thirty four others? What sh- what is the appropriate response? I think Jack Keen, uh, the retired general, had some good points about sanctioning uh, China because they keep buying the oil and gas from Iran. Mm-hmm. There's there's some avenues, right? Well, of course, you know, the longer you sit there and do nothing and you just take the punch in the mouth time and time again, mm. you know, the more emboldened people are going to be to say, well, look, they're not going to do anything at all. We can smack them around whenever we want to. And they will. 817 here on the Todd and Oz Show. You can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. Listen, uh, Austin's Soros-backed DA is being slammed by uh, a GOP challenger, uh, saying that he should be embarrassed. Uh, talking about Jose Garza should be embarrassed. I would agree. Yeah, d- a criminal defense attorney Daniel Betts uh, is running against the uh, progressive uh, Travis County DA, Jose Garza. How about that? Uh, he's live on the news line right now. Mr. Betts, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Love yeah. the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, well, first, just introduce yourself. Who are you? How long you been here? And why are you running? Sure. I'm Daniel Betts. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I've been in Austin since I came here for law school in 2007. And I've stayed here ever since. I, I love Austin, and I've just watched it go to hell under uh, District Attorney Garza. Um, you know, public safety is not a priority. Criminals are the priority for him. Um, and something needs to be done. I was just shocked that there wasn't something being done. Nobody was stepping up. And I said, well, you know, I've got, I'm an actual trial attorney. I'm an actual criminal attorney. I've got leadership experience. I've got a vision for this office. This is something that I need to do. Um, and, and I'm, I'm heartened to see since then that Jeremy Silistein, the Democratic challenger, has also stepped up. And so their call is coming from inside the House uh, as well that he's got to go. Uh, however it happens, he's got to go. Talk to me about um, some of the solutions uh, to some of these problems that D.A. Garza has created when it comes well, to... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, So there, there's two, two big ones. First off is public safety. And it's intertwined with the second one, which is the brain drain that he's inflicted on that office. It's so important to be able to train new prosecutors for the next generation of prosecutors to be able to have a continuity of uh, ability to prosecute cases. Um, And, you know, he's come in and said that he's going to prosecute all these peace officers um, for uh, alleged offenses. But then he doesn't even have the prosecutors to be able to do it himself. They have to go and hire outside prosecutors. Uh, former district attorney candidate Gary Cobb, who was a m- former member of the the DA's office, they had to hire him to try the Chris Taylor um, murder case. Wow. Um, they don't have anyone in that office, barely, from what they used to, who knows how to try a case. There's um, a couple of... It's not- 
Yeah, there's a there couple are of plenty of good attorneys still there, but they've lost about seventy career prosecutors. Wow, since wow. Came on. that's a lot. That's, that's I didn't realize that. That's amazing. There's a couple of things that uh, under his tenure that, that that stand out to me is one the the fudging of the prosecution numbers. Can Man, you ex- that got me too? Yeah, explain that. Explain to the people what they what they saw in the news or what he tried to tell the news and how he got caught it and and explain some of this. Yeah, he's tried to call me a liar for saying that that he was going to uh, indict cops before he got into office. Well, Fox smells its own lair first, and he is continually lying to us about a variety of different things. Uh, from his allegedly being a public defender before this, he has no cr- experience in criminal history. Excuse me, in criminal uh, prosecution or defense of any kind. But the the numbers, what the numbers are, he said that they had a ninety one percent conviction rate for violent felonies um and that's patently false uh the conviction rate under margaret moore was 90 excuse me was 39 percent and it's gone down to 35 percent including all types of convictions misdemeanors and everything um and so what he did to try to get to his 91 percent uh is he took three years of cases in the pandemic where we weren't having trials cases weren't being resolved and then he compared them against all the cases that they had filed this year and then the ones that they resolved this year specifically, he compared those to the ones that they had pending throughout the entire pandemic. And so, of course, if you have three years of cases and you get to plead them all out in one year, yeah, well, you can make it look like it's a bunch, but he's not tracking the same cases on the top and the bottom of that fraction. And it's, it's uh, misleading at best, but yeah. it's a lie. I mean, let's call it what it is. He got caught red-handed doing it, and there's a reason he dumped that statistic and said that nonsense about, oh, well, we're not statisticians. Well, if you weren't statisticians, maybe you should have hired a statistician if you were going to be making representations to the Mm. public. But you stand behind your numbers. And on top of that, you shouldn't be playing games with the numbers because the numbers aren't supposed to matter to a district attorney who's supposed to be pursuing justice. So on the one hand, he has all these lofty goals uh, about, you know, solving poverty and all, all these other things that are not the purview of the district attorney's office. And then he wants to play the numbers game on the other side. And I think that he thinks in Austin that just as a Democrat, he can have his cake and eat it, too. But I am confident that there is a coalition of Republicans, but more importantly, independents and Democrats in this town who are fed up with being lied to to their face and fed up with every single one of us knowing one, two, or many more oftentimes victims that are close to us because of his lax policies. There's no one at the helm there. Yeah, and, and, uh, and one of the big complaints I hear and, and, and kind of see myself with this district attorney is a lot of people just feel like it's not worth their time anymore to report crimes in the, in the city of Austin and Travis County. Cops don't feel like it's worth their time to make certain arrests because the guy's going to be back out in less than an hour. Uh, so how would you, as district attorney, address something like that, bring back the confidence you know, among the people that something's going to get done in the, in the justice system? I definitely believe that peace officers who commit crimes need to be held accountable. I definitely believe that. But that does not need to be the focus of what the district attorney's office does. The district attorney's office needs to be focused on protecting crime, protecting citizens of Travis County from crime. And that means that all they got to do is prosecute the crimes that come across their desk. And when you are disincentivizing the police from even filing a case because they know if it's a property crime, that, that thing's going to get dumped immediately. You know, uh, you know my, one of my interns had her car broken into 
They wouldn't even send somebody out to dust for fingerprints. Mm. The most basic investigatory techniques they won't do because they know it's a waste of resources and they're already stretched thin. Uh, we need we need to fix the the staffing shortages with APD certainly, but the ones that remain, those are the ones who are committed to that job. And we need to make sure that they know that when they do their job, we will do our job. And so, you know, when I started doing this in 2011, there were consistently over 60,000 arrests in Travis County every year. Um, and we've grown significantly since then in terms of population, but arrests are down. I think we just cleared 30,000. And I'm not saying that arrests are in the last year, we just cleared 30,000. I'm not saying arrests are the best rubric, but I, we know we know that there's a lot of crime out there, and so we know it's not being dealt with, and that's because people aren't calling. Um, they don't expect anything to be done. That's because criminals know that nothing's going to be done for certain classes of crime, and they're running rampant. And it's just a knock-on effect that has this awful spiral that we cannot yeah. afford another four years of. And, and people are just tired of hearing the stories about somebody that did something bad only getting out to commit another crime against mm -hmm. the people. People oh, are really tired of that. Before the story comes out, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, talk to, talk to us about those PR bonds, because that's what it is, right? Those personal reconnaissance bonds that allows people out with a promise to appear. Only sure. to, I mean, so, some people need to be to remain in jail, right? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some people are, unfortunately, too dangerous to, to remain out in society, and a bond is not going to be sufficient. We have all these conditions and things that we can hold people to on bond, electronic monitoring, house arrest, GPS. But oftentimes that does not stop them from, from committing another violent crime. Um, and so judges, judges have a tough decision to make when it comes to personal bonds. I, I don't envy them that decision because they have to balance public safety against the presumption of innocence. But it makes their job too easy when the DA is agreeing to every bond that comes across their desk. Um, when they're going out of their way to figure out ways that these, unfortunately, often criminals um, are uh, needing to be out on bond or needing to not be in the system. You know, even if they've killed uh, two people, you know, like that DWI driver yeah. that uh, should have been an intox manslaughter. He it was his seventh DWI and he killed two people on a motorcyclist and they didn't even bother to indict it wow. as an intox manslaughter. They yeah. sent it up as a DWI. You know, no big deal. You got enough money, Daniel Betts? You got enough money to uh, to seek this position? Uh, your your opponents have George Soros funding. You, That's true. You're going to need a lot. I don't like to highlight it as George Soros. I think that the most important thing is it's outside money trying to change our city. Yeah. And so it is so important that the citizens of Austin, your listeners, that they recognize the question is, are you safer than you were four years ago? And I think everybody knows no. Yeah. And so then next, what are you going to do about it? And donating to my campaign to help us get across the finish line, we're going to need almost 300,000 votes in order to do this thing. And I need to reach 300,000 voters. I'm confident that anyone that hears me talk, that hears about my experience and my dedication to solving this problem is going to know that I'm the right guy for the job. And we just need to get in their ear, and that the money goes a long way. My my website at bet mm -hmm. b e t t s for d a is the place that people can go to check out my policies, and if they agree with me, to donate. And it, it is very important. I, I thank hey, you for bringing that up, Daniel. Bet thank you so much for checking in. We'll talk to you soon, as uh, you know, on the campaign trail as things. I'd love up. to have, be on again. Thank you so much Absolutely. for having me, and I'll be following your show. Thank, thank you, Daniel. Appreciate that. There you go, uh, Daniel Betts, criminal defense attorney.
wants to be your uh, your district attorney. Sounds like he wants to take some action. Eight thirty three here on the Todd and I show. Jump in at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Israel has provided the Biden administration with a dossier providing with uh, information about how staffers for the United Nations agency assisted or supported the Hamas terrorist attacks on October the 7th. This is according to uh, Fox News and a few different outlets. Yeah, the dossier specifically alleges that 12 employees who worked with the United Nations Relief and Work Agency for Palestinian refugees in the Near East aided in a different capacity. Yeah, according to the dossier, one UN staffer joined Hamas terrorists in raiding uh, in, in uh, raiding some of the homes there in Israel and directly participated in the violence. Another staffer kidnapped an Israeli woman holding her hostage in his personal home and a third UN staffer doled out ammunition to uh, Hamas terrorists in the process. Uh, in all, this dossier says there were 12 staffers that were involved in the attack on those Jewish kids at that concert. That's crazy. It is. UN staffers. Well, it's... Oh, listen, you got UN... You got the UN that's using American money to lure people from, uh, you know, countries to the south up to Texas. Yeah, yeah. They're not our friends. Well, you know, they they talk a big game about being humanitarian, you know, humanitarianism and all that, but... That that doesn't sound very humanitarian. No, taking taking hostages and partaking in such a a brutal, horrific surprise attack like that on October seventh. Yeah, not humanitarian at all. It is uh, eight thirty four. You could jump in at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. A lot of folks are saying, "Well, let's don't judge the UN and this program helping the Palestinian refugees based on the actions of twelve people." We can judge well, how many for people, a lot of things. How many people are working for that agency in, in, in that area? I mean, more than 12? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a big deal. This is a big problem. And there are probably a whole lot more of staffers who oh. have you in there who, who share the exact same sentiments. Make yeah. no mistake about it. Yeah. In fact, they do. So who's the Nazi now? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they like to throw that word around. All right, jump in here. 512-836-0590. The Republican presidential race is down to two people. Yeah, the former U.S. Uh, ambassador uh, in uh, to the U.N., Nikki Haley, uh, she insists that she's in this for the long haul. Let's get their latest on the campaign trail. The former president has commanding victories in Iowa and New Hampshire under his belt. In the New Hampshire primary, former Ambassador Haley was 10 points behind Trump. But she feels okay about that and is still confident in her campaign's chances. And so one by one, we dismissed the fellas, right? One by one. And then we saw in New Hampshire, it became a two-person race. Haley accusing Trump of being upset that he didn't beat her by more in New Hampshire. To the point that he threw out insults. That's what he does. I'm okay with that. I'm used to that. So he, you know, threw out insults. And he talks about revenge. During a campaign event over the weekend, Trump didn't come off as too concerned about Haley. Though. We're beating everybody. We're beating her by a lot, but we're beating Biden. She can't beat Biden. The polls are showing the most recent polls because she doesn't have Republican support. You know what she doesn't have? She doesn't have MAGA. Haley said yesterday she'll need a solid showing in the upcoming South Carolina primary, her home state, where she served as governor. But she didn't say that she had to win there to stay in the race. Haley also went after the Republican National Committee after it backed Trump for the presidency. She questioned the timing of the move after just two states have cast ballots. I'm Clayton Neville. All right, there you go. Just some of the latest uh, from the campaign trail. She's wasting so much time, money, 
uh, effort and focus that should all be unified against Joe Biden and the Democrats, she's not going to she's not going to win. Yeah, I mean, barring some sort of crazy thing, it won't be her. Period. Mm-hmm. It just won't be. Uh, she was heckled at a, at a, at a rally over the weekend in her home state of South Carolina. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that Donald Trump, it, it's, it's certainly his, his race to lose. She's just wasting everybody's time at this point. Yeah. Bill Maher on, uh, HBO's Real Time, he was very critical of the Democrats who are constantly focused on attacking Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He was pretty critical of him over the weekend on his show. Uh, Clay Travis, uh, with Clay and Buck and Houtkick. Uh, Clay Travis has responded to that. Uh, let's listen in live. We take away from over the weekend. Here's AOC on Meet the Press, NBC, yesterday. Do you think in this very moment, President Biden is doing a good enough job explaining to voters why they should vote for him and not just against former President Trump? I think we can certainly do more to be advancing uh, our vision. And I believe that we have a strong vision that we can run on. It goes from there, Clay. And and on the issues that you just ticked (laughs) off, I mean, take it back domestically on, on the economy. You know, there's a piece out over the weekend suggesting that, you know, pitching Bidenomics may not have worked, but maybe the economy lifts itself and they don't have to sell it. And Americans feel as if their lives are getting better in turn. And that, that, that's a card that the White House could be playing, Clay. How about that AOC answer? Uh, I, I think uh, when you get an answer like that, she knows it's coming on Meet the Press. I mean, this wasn't her walking outside of a building and suddenly getting hit with a question and not being prepared for it. She didn't endorse Biden very strongly there at all in his response. And, and Bill, I think you can't underrate the way that many Americans have seen the response since October 7th on college campuses. And while young people may not be happy with Joe Biden, I mean, again, I just said 75% of people don't think he's physically or mentally able to do the job. It's not just young people. I do think a lot of people who are adults out of college, people in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s out there, were stunned to see the level of anti-Semitism and just what the campuses are like now. And it's not only that Joe Biden isn't popular with students, it's that a lot of student opinions on uh, on what happened on October 7th on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has got a lot of moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas upset. And I think that works against Joe Biden as well because people are, for the first time ever, uh, sitting back and saying, how in the world did these conversations end up happening? How did the AOCs of the world, how has that generation come to not be able to see what good and evil is? That also, I think, works against Biden. How about that couple walking out of the synagogue in New York over the weekend? I mean, just heckled for a yeah. block and a half. Uh, I know. People throwing water. I was just unbelievable. Bill Maher said the kids just love. Nasty. Bill Maher said the kids love Hamas. Hold on to that. All right, hold on to that as we get closer to November. There you go, uh, Clay Travis on uh, Fox News this morning. Uh, you could join us too at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. If that's true, that that whole statement of the kids love Hamas. I mean, that's a that is a very concerning statement. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think I don't think it's that inaccurate. I mean, based on what we've seen off college campuses. Oh, I don't think it is. I, you know? I, I think uh, a lot of uh, I think just about every college campus in town is is full of professors that say the United States and Israel are the mean evil doers of this planet. And, and, they, they, we've been raising kids to hate America. Right. And, and, and people who genuinely believe that what happened on October 7th was some sort of justified retaliation. Right. right. Innocent slaughter is never justified. 
846 here on the Todd and I Show. You can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. Interesting report out this morning about young adults. Many are still living at home, and they're still being subsidized by uh, mom and dad in some regards. Nothing wrong with the kids staying at home, right? Living a family together. That's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, but uh, I guess there's a downside as well. well sure. It's, it's a Pew Research study. Found more young adults today living with their parents than in the past. Uh, among those aged 18 to 24, 57% are said to be living in their, their parents' homes. Uh, roughly 59% of parents say they give their adult children help with finances, have at least once over the past year. A uh, majority of young adults who live with the parents say the arrangements had a positive impact on their personal financial situation. 55% say that uh, it, it's helped out. But uh, according to some personal financial experts, and they say a lot of young people are, because of this, taking a lot longer to reach adult milestones nowadays, costing their parents a whole lot more money in the process. Uh, you know, we're seeing people at now 25, 30, 35, 40, mm. reaching milestones that were reached, you know, many, many years earlier and generations before. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of them are saying, well, they've, they've got, uh, you know, everything's just so much more expensive now. Mm. Um, but, you know, when, when you, you hear the stories about parents paying, giving their adult children basically what amounts to allowances, you know, every week, here's a little bit of money for you to help you out. I mean, you know. That's a guaranteed income. That is a guaranteed it's income. It's a universal basic income from your parents. Yeah. You could also make the argument, well, well, But what do you make of this? What, explain. What do you think? I mean. Well, I, I think it's a sign of the times. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to deny that that a lot of this has got to be chalked up to just the, the fact that everything is so unbelievably expensive out there nowadays. It's so difficult for, for people to, you know, get ahead. I mean, uh, you know, when they're spending 30, 40, 50 percent of their income on rent, and then they got the food and the utilities and all that other stuff. Well, when you got an open border that adds to the affordability crisis, no uh, doubt about I it. I can see where young Americans may not be able to afford things. No doubt about it. Right. Now, if you remove the financial burden on the parents' shoulders out of this, you know, I could also look at this and say, well, look, you know, for thousands of years, humans have lived, you know, generations on land with their families, right. you know, and, and what's wrong with that? Keeping your family close. But. You know, if if we have young adults who are missing very very important you know milestones in life, mm. you know, by 10, 15, 20 years because you know they were set back, they got comfortable with these parental guaranteed incomes, so to speak. You know, I, I think that that does have a societal detriment eventually. You know, it does. I mean, it, you, you know, you don't want everybody stuck in a perpetual state of arrested development. And what do they say? Sixteen percent, sixty percent of uh, eighteen to what age? Twenty four year olds. Twenty four. You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's all that surprising to have a 19-year-old still living at home. It well, may be surprising compared to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s and 90s. But in today's world, a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, they may still be going to co- They may be living at home going to college. But is it normal that 60% of those parents will be giving them cash every week? No. Is that what the number is? 60% yeah. of them give them uh, Well, 59% of parents say they give their adult children money. Ca- cash. Yeah. Cash. Yeah. I mean, not just pay the phone bill, but... Also buy the car and cash. And give some help with, with finances and basically give them a, a young adult allowance. Yeah. And these things, I think, are definitely holding people back. Yeah, I absolutely will be the first to acknowledge that things are crazy expensive out there, and it's way more difficult nowadays to drop a down payment than I it was, say, more, 30, 40 years ago. I think maybe there's more to it than ju- just parents, you know, uh, you know, providing a little comfort for their kids. There's got to be more to it, right? Right? I mean, we, we often hear stories about how younger folks have menu anxiety. Just reading a menu in public makes them nervous and anxious. 
That's so weird. That's somebody that would probably stay at home longer, right? Probably. probably. Well, you know, we do put a lot more focus on, on uh, you know, certain neuroses, you know, uh, that... Uh, you know, kids kids get a lot of, uh, or young adults get a lot of TikTok and social media fame and clicks and likes for right. for going online. And I look how, you know, this this is how uh, I, I was a victim today. And, and uh, eventually, I guess you start to believe your own narrative. Yeah. And, then, so. and then eventually become terrified of menus. All right. Uh, listen, <laughs> uh, jump in at 512-836-0590. Some New York City restaurant owners are pushing back against a proposal to change tipping rules. New York City restaurant owners are sounding out against a proposal to change tipping rules in one of the best-known food cities in the world, as well as some surrounding suburbs, according to a new survey by the NYC Hospitality Alliance. Currently, eateries can pay wait staff less than minimum wage if tips make up the gap. The new law, opposed by 95% of restaurateurs, would take away that so-called tip credit many restaurant owners say they rely on to stay in business. More than half of restaurateurs surveyed said they'd consider closing shop if the law were to pass, and mm. 76% say they'd have to increase menu prices. Bill supporters say the current system creates inequities. Lillian Wu, Fox News. You got 95% of restaurateurs who are, who are opposed to this uh, yeah. in a poll. Uh, they, they say, look, like you heard there, higher prices on the menus. Probably going to have to lay some people off. Some of the smaller eateries, they're saying, well, listen, it's already so expensive. We're probably going to have to, you know, close altogether. Yeah. I, I, you know, these, these cities, the, these governments always, always getting in the way of private business. <laughs> always. <laughs> that's, that's like what, that's what they do best. We squeeze in uh, Charles. Charles is yep. on uh, the Todd and I show this morning. Charles, good morning. What's on your mind? So I wanted to ask with um, roughly 60% of kids getting some type of financial uh, help from their parents. What do you guys think about the minimum wage still being seven twenty-five an hour? I have had a full military career. I retired after 26 years. When I left the market, it was seven twenty-five, and now that I've gone back into the market, it's seven twenty-five. That doesn't seem to equate to inflation and cost of living nearly as much as the government should take care of its people and ensure a living wage. There ain't nobody listening right now that knows anybody listening or anybody at all that's making seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah, I know people like this. No, you don't. No you, my, no, you don't. My younger kid. Who? who what, at what job? He's working fast food. Seven twenty-five an hour? You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. You're not telling the truth. I'm, You're I'm not telling the truth. The there, there is no area. fast food. Re- there is no fast food restaurant in town that's paying anybody seven twenty-five an hour. All I see is between no, fifteen and twenty. No, he lives in a different state in yeah. a lower cost of living, but that's the minimum wage. That's yeah, ain't nobody. Required. Your son is not making seven twenty-five an hour. You're, you're not telling the truth. Uh, who? Let me ask you. How much is your son employer? making? How much is your son making an hour? Well, he got a raise, so he's making seven ninety. No, he's not. No, he's not. There ain't no fast okay. food job in America that pays less than twelve, fifteen, twenty bucks an hour. It's just okay. There's there's, there's right? so much right right Charles right Charles right. You agree with me, right? Well, I yeah I yeah okay okay you let's know, I yeah I agree, agree with you with yeah you because let's my raise. Kid is making that, yeah. and I what? there's no point in me saying. 
I'm not lying to you because there's no way I can prove the truth. I don't so think you, I don't matter. think you I don't think you're telling the truth. You uh, failed. Uh, okay, great. What should the What should the minimum wage be? What should the minimum wage be? At minimum, I think it should reflect inflation from the 90s to now. I don't even know what that number is. What should that number be? I don't have a clue what it should be. I yeah. think it should be relative to what inflation is. 12 bucks an hour? Mm-mm-mm. I mean, maybe. Okay. Maybe 18. That'd what, be great. How much, what's the difference between 1990 and 2024 as far as... Nobody, nobody's wor- nobody works for minimum wage. Nobody does. Nobody. Well, nobody. Be there. Nobody does. Nobody does. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Charles. The Todd and Oz Show, weekday mornings 5 to 10 on News Radio KLBJ. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com.